Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I'm joined by Tom Dorian. Tom, you doing all right? I'm great. Another another beautiful day in the cafe. That's right. Beautiful day in the cafe. We're uh, serving up coffee, and we got some honey buns. Yes. This one's are fresh and hot. They're very I haven't nice. I've had those in a while. Yeah, very good. Very good. So I'll have a couple. You can have mine. Thank I'm, you. I'm dieting. I see that. Uh, yeah, you can tell. You're doing well. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to talk about a really cool topic today. Okay. It's always cool, though, but go ahead. A lot of people will go into different churches, and they'll kind of think, well, what's the difference between this church? If they, they'll walk into a Baptist church, or they'll walk into a Presbyterian church, they'll walk into a Catholic church. For those of you who are not Catholic... Come on in. Well, you come into a Catholic church, and you go, oh, oh this is different than my church at home, <laughs> right? There's a lot of stuff here, and uh, there's just a lot of a feast for the eyes, You're right? right? And You're the right. ears, and the nose, right? And Especially the mouth. the nose. All the senses. But the point is... It's different. It's way different. There's a lot of stuff in there, and a lot of folks think, well, this is just too mysterious for me. I'm not really sure I can follow what's going on here. There's so much going on. So we thought we would demystify yeah. for those non-Catholics what's in a Catholic church in general. I think that's a great idea. And then also for our Catholic brothers and sisters, maybe give a little insight as to why some of those things are there. Because another important point I'd like to make is that there's nothing that's just like sort of happenstance in the Catholic Church. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. It has some kind of meaning. It has some kind of historical, traditional uh, meaning to it. Uh-huh. So we want to talk a little bit about some of those things. I and mean, there's a lot of stuff, so we'll just we'll do the best we can to fit as many of those. Just as jump we, in. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll start in the back of the church. Okay. Actually, we'll start outside the church. Okay. Right. There's a thing called the narthex. Right. Yeah. Tom, what's a narthex? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to throw You're you. You're not going to put me on the spot. No, but you know what a narthex is, right? I haven't. I haven't done my homework, but I would define it as the area, kind of the greeting area. There you go. The gathering space. Right. That's the modern terminology for right. it. But the narthex is that area in which you prepare to enter into the church. Yeah. Right. So before you enter the church, you're in the narthex. You find yourself there, and we do greet each other. And there's like welcoming folks there to you know welcome you to the to the church. But really, there's some other things that are there in that narthex that would be appropriate to be outside right. the church. Right. Right. And one of those, in fact, at our very parish, what what is the thing you would stumble over if you were in the middle of the narthex? Oh, right. Smack dab in the middle is the baptismal font or pool or That's whatever. That's exactly you want to call right. It. So the baptistry where the person is baptized. And right. the reason why that would typically or traditionally be at the back of the church or outside the church actually mm-hmm. is because it used to be in the in the old days uh, the very early church, they would have the, the, the baptismal area would be separate from the church, and it would be a procession from the baptistry to the church. How about right? that? Once you were baptized, then there was a, a great procession because we have a new child of God here, and we would process into the church, and you'd be welcomed into the church yeah. after you were baptized. But the, the baptismal font is the place where we initiate, we begin our our worship. Our journey. That's right. Our journey to be closer to God. And we we do that in, in baptism. Mm-hmm. Right? So we find that there. Now, also, if we're not going to be baptized on that day, okay, so we're already baptized, we would still greet or gather in that, um, that narthex and prepare ourselves. But like right at the doors, just inside the church, you would find the baptismal or the, uh, sorry, the holy water font. Exactly. And the holy water font is something that's a very t- traditional and typical of churches. And this is a way in which we 
we again initiate ourselves into that experience of coming to church. Right. We do that every time we go in. We'll, as Catholics, we'll dip our hands in the holy water font and we'll do the sign like the of the cross. cross. Right. Right. And this is a very important part of our tradition. A lot of people don't think about what they're doing when they dip their hands in that holy water, but what they're doing is three things. One is they are reminding themselves of their baptismal promises. Okay. They're not being rebaptized, but they're saying once again, it's kind of like a renewal of wedding vows, right? right. You, you're renewing your commitment to God and understanding that there's a responsibility now as a Christian, once you've been baptized, that you're called to live a Christian life, yeah. to evangelize, to be Christ-like, mm-hmm. right? And so we, re- we remind ourselves of our baptismal promises when we do that sign of the cross, when we dip our hands in that holy water. But there's a couple other things that are going on that a lot of people don't realize. And one of those is that our venial sins are actually being washed away. Okay. Just as in our venial and mortal sins are washed away in baptism, our venial sins, those little sins, those small sins that can get in our way, that can be stumbling blocks in our lives, that can lead to the bigger sins, those are actually washed away in the baptismal waters, in the holy water. Right? That blessed water is actually assisting in cleansing us spiritually. Right, every time we dip our hands in, the ho- in, in that holy water, so that's a good thing to do. Very good. Right, and then also that third thing, a lot of people don't realize that when that water is blessed, there is a prayer of exorcism that's said over that water. Okay, right? I have to admit it on the air. I did not know that. Well, the prayer of exorcism that said, then I hate to say it, but Hollywood sometimes get things gets things right. You know when the holy water is thrown on the vampire and right. he screams, you know, and it sizzles and fries his skin, right? <laughs> uh, and, and also it really makes the devil mad, you know, the holy water. Yeah. The, I, I know that can be, uh, you know, very Hollywoodish. It does sound Hollywoodish. Yeah, but the truth is there, there is some truth there. I mean, okay. there, there's a prayer of exorcism said over this water because it becomes a sacramental. And it's used for the purpose of helping to ward off evil, to protect us from evil, and to bless things. The the priest, the deacon, will use it to bless the rings You're right. in the wedding, in the mass, You're right. or to bless the palms that are distributed at Palm Sunday. Or to bless the congregation. To bless anything, right. right? Right. Again, renewing in us those baptismal promises. Yeah. Right? So it's a beautiful thing. So here's thing. a question for you. Yeah. Uh, I hate to interrupt you. But no problem. So somebody told me once that you do not dip your hand in the font on the way out of mass, you only dip it on the way in. I don't any, know who told you that. To that. No, the, That's I don't crazy. know who told you that. But you know, you can dip your hands in the holy water font anytime. Okay, right. The only time you're not going to find holy water in the font is going to be good during Friday. Holy Week, right? right? On Good Friday, right? There's no. And what's so funny is you, if you set, if you stationed yourself by that holy water font, oh, everybody's dipping their they're, hands. They're, 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 as Catholics, and we then just they're do looking. things, right? <laughs> We do things. Our hey, body empty. is like so. We're so used to dipping our hands in there. Oh, you'll see people it. do that, yep. right? And then I also see people that will sort of reach their hands over the holy water and not actually get any holy water on them, on their fingers because they I don't want to get. They don't want to get messed with the you know the water and like wipe the make off of our. I don't know why they're doing that, but but huh. if you notice, people do that, and so they do the sign of the cross. And the sign of the cross is wonderful, but they're missing out on those efficacious qualities of holy water right. if they don't actually let the holy water touch their skin. So huh. just something as Catholics we need we need to think about. I now agree. also back there in the narthex by the baptismal font, by is going to be the Paschal candle. Right. Right. The Easter candle. And this is a very important candle. Every parish has one. They're lit at the Easter vigil. Right. Right. They're lit at that. They're blessed at that time. And then that Easter candle 
leads us into church. Right. And that candle is the light of Christ. Right. For us, and and it's a it's a good thing to have that candle, and to also note that that candle is something that is used for an entire year. That candle, it's got a date on it. It does. It's used for a year, and there'll be a new one at the new Easter Vigil. So, and, and then in, isn't that candle lit at all the baptisms? That baptism is right. exactly right. So it's it's used throughout the year right. in the church, but it symbolizes the light of Christ right. present in that church. Mm-hmm. And so during the Easter season, it's also placed up by the ambo. We'll talk about the ambo in a minute, mm-hmm. but it's up there. Uh, during the preaching of the gospel, you'll see that uh, that baptismal candle up there. Right. I'm sorry, the Easter candle, again, mm-hmm. reminding us of the light of Christ present, especially during the Easter season. It's a time of remembrance for that. So let's let's move into the next part of the church. All right, we're going to move into what's called the nave of the church. Okay. And we actually talked about this on a show when we were talking about Peter. But the nave of the church is that big, large area where all the people sit in the pews. Right. Now, a lot of people... Sounds like Navy. Well, exactly right. And there's a reason for that. Here we go. There's a reason for that. Because it's the same Latin root as the word Navy or navigate. Right. Right? It has a, it has a naval uh, meaning to it. It, it. it means to be in a boat. There you go. So the church where we sit is a big boat. Right? We're go. on a cruise ship heading to God. Yeah, right. if you flip it upside down, it almost looks like a boat. Well, you know, it can be. And I guess the point is... if and We're you, all in there. If you, we're all, we all want to be in the church. Don't we want to be leave in the, the boat. boat. Do not leave the boat. Uh, and so that's an important thing to understand, the nave. Now, in, in a Protestant church, they would call that whole area the sanctuary. Okay. Right? But in the Catholic church, the sanctuary is reserved for another part of the church, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a second. Okay. But we're back here in the nave. Toward, we're standing at the back of the church. We're looking forward mm-hmm. towards the front of the church. And what we're going to see is we're going to see some a few things we want to talk about. Okay. One of those things is, is called an ambry. Okay. Right? And the ambry is where, where we keep the sacred oils, the holy oils. Again, at the chrism mass, at the beginning um, uh, or during Holy Week, you will see the bishop will bless these oils. Three different kinds. Three different kinds of oils. We have the oil of the catechumens, mm-hmm. right, which is used to bless and strengthen those that are preparing for baptism. Mm-hmm. We have the oil of the sick, which the priest brings. He G- brings Jesus' strength and healing to those who are joined in the suffering Christ, right? So people that need to be healed, need healing, this oil of the sick is there for them. So it's used in the anointing of the sick. And then also we have the sacred chrism, which is also used in celebrating the sacraments of baptism and confirmation and holy orders. Okay, I know I'm distracting you. I'm sorry. But it, the, the, do those have to be at the front of the church? Can they be in the back or just can they be we in the church? We say be in the front and the back. Uh, of the, the entrance. They're, they're not necessarily. And, you know, I guess I should, that's a good point. Okay. There are different places in different churches for different things. And what I'm talking about is sort of the general typical way in which churches have been constructed mm-hmm. right from from ages past the way a church will be constructed your church may be a little different than this one mm-hmm. right but it's not going to be that much different okay sometimes the baptismal font will be in the front of the church where everyone can see it so when you have baptisms during the mass someone right. will see that right but a lot of churches now being constructed in, in that in that uh, older form will see the baptistry being at the back at the entrance of the church or right. just outside the church in the narthex if they're able to do that. Uh, and the same thing with the holy oils are sometimes kept in an ambry, wherever that ambry is, mm-hmm. uh, in our parish it's at the back of the church. Right. right? And it's a beautiful place uh, of reservation where we keep those holy oils. Yep. Right. Yep. There's also a place up at the front of the church uh, which is like a little door, a little brass door that says um, Olea Sacra, which means 
holy oil, okay. right? The, the ones that are used on a daily basis are actually kept there for daily use. And the ambry is one, uh, sometimes they're very decorative and very ornate, mm-hmm. uh, where the oils are kept there for the, for the, for the people to see. Right. And again, to realize the strength and the beauty of those sacramentals uh, that are there. Now, yep. we have so much more to talk to. We're still at the back of the church. Wow. We're in the, we're in the nave. We better hurry up. That's right. Uh, we, got, we got more to talk about. We're going to do that when we get right back okay. uh, after this uh, wonderful uh, talk about iconoclasts, about images. All right. And we're going to actually talk about images on the other side of this break. So excellent. Uh, would love for you to em- email me, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com, if you want to make any comments or ask any questions. Uh, and visit us on our website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. The heresy of iconoclasm came to the forefront in the early 8th century and lasted well into the 9th century. The iconoclast, whose name means image breakers, rejected the use of images of God or humans, but especially those of Christ, Mary, the saints, and holy events. These images had become commonplace in churches and homes throughout the universal church over the centuries, with paintings, drawings, sculptures, and other images dating to the earliest days of the Christian church. The iconoclast felt that to venerate these images was tantamount to idolatry, and their influence was causing a rift within the church. A council was called in the late 8th century, which addressed the issues of icons and sacred images in particular, but in a more general sense, the very nature of the worship of God. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 AD was the seventh ecumenical council of the church and spoke with the full weight of the magisterium the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. There was much discussion and prayer by the bishops attending the universal gathering. They took into account not only the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also the works of many great Catholic theologians of the day. The writings of St. John of Damascus are said to have had a profound influence on the Council Fathers. About the subject of sacred art, he said, If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and place him before the icons. The Second Council of Nicaea dogmatically decreed that the church's inspired tradition of the veneration of sacred images be upheld. The council proclaimed, We define that the holy icons, whether in color, mosaic, or some other material, should be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on the sacred vessels and liturgical vestments, on the walls, furnishings, and in the houses along the roads, namely the icons of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that of Our Lady, Theotokos, those of the venerated angels, and those of all the saintly people. Whenever these representations are contemplated, they will cause those who look at them to commemorate and love their prototype. Still today, the Catholic Church continues the centuries-old tradition of the use and benefit of sacred images of all kinds. The dogmatic decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea and many subsequent ecumenical councils to follow on the proper veneration of these images served as a spiritual anchor of inspiration to sacred tradition and the divine revelation of God. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. 
And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I am Deacon Jeff. And you yes, are you Tom are. Dorian. Yes, I am. Very good touchdown. And so you we have a lot of bullets there, my friend. We got we got to get some more uh, stuff. We're 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 in the nave of the church. Okay. We're at the back of the church, and we're kind of looking out over the the nave, right? Yes. And we're picturing ourselves in this boat. We're sitting in our our pews, and we're we're rowing. We're all ready. We're active Catholics, so we're rowing. We're participating, which means we're praying, we're right. singing, we're we're being Standing, part. Kneeling. That's right. We're we're being part of the church, an active member of the body of Christ, right? And when we look around, there's some things that we instantly see in that Catholic church that are going to be different than where than other churches, non-Catholic right. churches. Right. Right. We're going to see things like statues. You're right. A lot of people say, oh, statues are bad. And we just had that uh, uh, that great little piece that my wife, Bess, did just a second ago about um, iconoclasts, people that wanted to break down these images and get rid of the images and, and realize that. Uh, and didn't realize that really there's, we're not worshiping these images. Exactly. Right? These statues merely are like, they're like beautiful photographs yeah. that bring to mind, that call to mind these these people that the statues are of. Exactly right. And so as we look at these statues, we, we're reminded of the fact that these are the saints, and they're here at this liturgy, at this mass, at this worship, at this opportunity in this church. They're praying with us. Exactly. Right, so we're joined by all these statues. They're also they, they serve as examples for us. Mm-hmm. So the statues are actually uh, very good things, good holy things for us to uh, uh, to experience. And then also we'll see stained glass windows. Now, stained glass windows in churches can be very beautiful. Absolutely. And a lot of even Protestant churches will have stained glass windows, but oh, you will yeah. find that there's a difference. Right, they'll have beautiful colors. But they won't necessarily have images within those stained glass windows. Right. And as we know, stained glass windows were ways in which the church taught those that were illiterate. Many, many years ago, if you couldn't read or write, you could look at pictures. And so frequently, you would see the story of salvation portrayed before you in these stained glass windows. That's exactly right. Right. So a lot of the stained glass windows of our Catholic churches will have these beautiful, beautiful settings of all these different things that are happening in the Bible in Mm -hmm. the story of salvation. And we'll see those playing out so beautifully in these uh, ancient stained glass windows. Yep. And so those are beautiful things to, to behold as well. And they make it a very prayerful uh, experience, a prayerful time. Now, if you were to look up at this point, and you're in the back of the church, and you look behind you and look up, typically what you would see in a Catholic church is you would see a choir loft. Right. Right, where the, uh, the, the organ is going to be placed and the, and the choir mm-hmm. would be there. Mm-hmm. And this is the traditional position of the choir. And of the music that comes out for the church. And the reason why is because these churches are built in such a way as if you're at the top and the back, right, where the choir loft is, and you sing, that voice of the angels, it cascades out over the congregation and sort of falls down upon them in a very holy way. Versus good stuff when you're sort of in front of the people and people are kind of looking. Oh, look at look at Marge and she's all full of herself while she's singing or, or whatever. And I'm I'm sorry if your name is Marge and you're in the choir. I'm not I'm not talking about you, but you understand it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful notion that the choir would be right. It's not about themselves. It's about the music that is going to lift us in worship and and hearing that music sort of waft down over the congregation is a beautiful thing. And that's why they were placed strategically. There, so that we would experience that without having the distraction, right? Right. That changes a lot with modern times. People will have different places for for choirs and and such. But 
Again, if you look at most traditional Catholic churches, this mm-hmm. choir loft's going to be in the back right. uh, at the top. So now let's kind of move to the center of the church. As we get into the heart of the church and the heart of the nave, mm-hmm. right, we're looking around. And on the walls, you're going to see some really particular things that are particular to Catholic church. And, and they are images of the way of the cross, the, the, right. the things the that Jesus the did. They're called the stations of the cross. Mm-hmm. They're numbered 1 through 14. Mm-hmm. And these are... 14 different things along the way where Jesus, when he was on the way to his cross. Right. And we as Catholics can participate in that event by praying and meditating at each one of these stations. You'll frequently see this during uh, like Lenten times. Exactly. And it's a way that we can sort of, again, uh, to join in the suffering of Christ, to, to realize that Christ suffered for us, and if we join in that suffering, we actually participate in that suffering, and we offer it for that good purpose, right, so that others would benefit from it, and then we can also participate in the glory of the resurrection, right? right. If Christ suffered for us, he rose for us and was victorious over death, we too can be victorious over death, especially if we're with Christ, right? right? right. And so, doing the Stations of the Cross, reminding of ourselves of our humanity, reminding of ourselves of the suffering that took place for Christ. And we put ourselves in that place and go along that way. It's a beautiful, beautiful notion, and it's a wonderful devotional. Now, as we move to the front, now we get sort of like this is the this is the central focus of the church up here. This is now the holy ground. This is the sanctuary. Right. And the sanctuary in most traditional Catholic churches is three steps high. You'll see traditionally uh, a lot of times written on those marble steps as you're going up will be the words holy, 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 mm-hmm. right? That sort of threefold praise of the angels. Mm-hmm. And we see holy, holy, holy on those steps. And there in the sanctuary, the things that we'll, we'll find, right? We'll find, first of all and foremost, we'll, you'll see the, the, the altar of sacrifice. Right. This is where the priest confects the Eucharist. This is where Jesus Christ is made present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Right. Right. This happens on this this table, but this altar of sacrifice. Right. So it's a beautiful and holy and sacred place consecrated by the bishop with all this holy oil with the sacred chrism is rubbed, covers the entire top right. of this thing. It's blessed for that purpose. And so it's a holy place. It's not merely a table where we can rest our books or our Diet Coke can. If we happen to be preaching or talking, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't use it casually. No. You don't lean on it. This is a place of great respect and right. reverence. Right. right. And also up there, you would see uh, the ambo. The ambo is a fixture. It's it's uh, some people will call it a lectern, but it's not a lectern. The ambo is a particular furnishing in the church where, that is reserved again for a sacred and holy uh, purpose. It's for proclaiming the word of God. And it's not called a pulpit. Well, there has been be? called. There are things that are called pulpits. I want to get to to church architecture, but okay. there's a thing called a pulpit as well, where where preaching took place okay. in different churches. But the ambo is a specific place that is used for the pulpit, used for the preaching. It's used for preaching the homily. Uh, it's used for the prayers of the faithful, right? That, that are that are prayers that are lifted to God. Used are for proclaiming the gospel, and and used for the word of the word of the Lord, the word right. of God, and for the, the psalm. The right. response right. is used. Uh, it happens at the ambo. So it is a sacred space as well. And it's a good thing that we 
reserve it to that sacred space. We don't make announcements from it. We don't go up and casually say, uh, by the way, uh, if you have a Toyota, you know, blue Toyota, your lights are on. That's not what happens at the Ambo. Right. Right. That would happen somewhere else uh, at or, where the canter is or uh, and actually a, a microphone that's hooked up. To you wouldn't do that from the Ambo because that is a sacred, sacred place. Yep. Right. Now, also, you'll find in the um, in the sanctuary, you'll find the the presider's chair. Where the priest sits, and on his side will be a couple of chairs, maybe some smaller ones, less decorated, a little shorter. Right. And those will be where the deacons sit. Okay. Right? And so the priest presider sits in that main chair. In fact, in in the cathedral, right, this is the bishop's parish. Right. Right? This is his the mother church for that diocese. Mm-hmm. It's called a cathedral because cathedral is comes from that same Latin root cathedra, and cathedra is chair. Okay. So the bishop's chair is in the cathedral, okay. and that's where they get the name cathedral. Yeah. Right? So that's an interesting place, an interesting thing to note. Uh, and don't sit in that chair, by the way, Tom, if you ever go to the cathedral. That's reserved for the bishop. That's oh, his chair. Oh, trust me. I would not even think of it. <laughs> Very good. Now, and then the other thing we want to see um, in the typical Catholic church is you're going to see a big, giant crucifix. Right. Again, just like the Stations of the Cross, we look up and we see Jesus hanging on the cross. Right. You know, our Protestant brothers and sisters say, why do you still have that dead body in there? Don't you know Jesus is risen? It is great that he's risen from the dead, and it's fantastic, and he was victorious over death. But he, but he did that because he's God. He, can, he is victorious over death, right? God has victory over death. But the really awesome thing about his death is that he saved us with that. So we want to be reminded specifically of our victory that comes through the death of Jesus. So we want to see that this is what Jesus did for us. That's why we have a crucifix right. and why it should be in a pl- prominent place that we can uh, that we can see and always be re- reminded of that. Yeah. Right? And typically that's hanging at the back of the church over the tabernacle. Exactly. Which is the center focus, which is a, a beautiful thing. This is now this is where the presence of the Lord is reposed, is kept here in this tabernacle. It's beautiful. It's gold. It's gold on the outside. It's gold on the inside. Right. And where we see, this is what we, we, we genuflect before the tabernacle because there's a sanctuary light, mm-hmm. a candle that's burning 24-7, telling us that Jesus is present in that tabernacle. Exactly. So these are all the elements of the Catholic Church. If you go and look at a typical Catholic Church, you'll find these things. Mm-hmm. They'll be a little different here and there. There'll be some differences. But this is what makes the Catholic Church very special, very unique, and very different from many other churches. Mm-hmm. And they also become a feast for the senses, not just for you know the ears where you hear the Word of God, but for the mouth where you taste and see, right? You taste God right. in the Eucharist, right? A, a feast for the eyes. You see these beautiful stained glass windows yep. and the beautiful statuary. Uh, and then the ornamentation and the decoration, right? You also see, uh, you hear, right? The bells that are rung at the consecration. Right. The reminders that Jesus the smells in the bells, the incense. Yep. And we smell that incense. Good stuff. Right. It's all beautiful and it's all part of our Catholic tradition. It is. Visit your Catholic church soon and often. Come on in. We won't bite you. Very good. Well, let's Love do this. You. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your church, the mother of our salvation. Help us, we pray, to realize in her sacraments the saving grace of your Son, sent to reconcile us to you forever. Through the same Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. 